buildingyourband.com. How are you, dude? I'm good, man. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. 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 We just found out that we won a Grammy last night, oh, so man. well, the night before. So it's pretty crazy. Yeah. Congrats, man. So that that's uh, that's the Hillsong Band. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I had the privilege of doing keys and writing and arranging all the strings for it. So that was a wow. Yeah, good surprise for me when I woke up and found that. Obviously, it was all about the song, but to right. be involved with it was still a still a great thing. So, right. So arranging the strings, to- mm-hmm. <laughs> live strings? <laughs> yeah, live you, strings. You so, scored it uh, out the- or how does that? Um, so the way we did it is I did a mock-up with software strings. Okay. Um, yeah. then, we created, then we created dots for all our string players out right. of that. Um, cool. Got them to read the dots and play it on the day. And then afterwards, we actually doubled it with uh, Spitfire Audio, yeah. um, their string their string library, just so the mix engineer had options because it was quite thin with just, I think we only used four players on that one. Okay. Um, and then we had the option to bring up a bigger um, string section for the big sections of the So song. cool, but man. Yeah, it works so good, blending cool. real and, oh. and software, I think. String arranging, man, that's a different thing. That's it a different is. beast. You have to think <laughs> differently. Yeah, and you got to work within your string player's abilities too because yeah. you can hear all the stuff, but if they can't play it, then right, right. it's not going to work either. So. Right. I, I, my brother, uh-huh. my brother's played violin and cello growing up, so I used to arrange some stuff for them with hymns. You know, oh, nothing awesome. on this scale, but, you know, yeah. but, um, and I did it so horribly wrong at first. They, they <laughs> yeah. used to tell me, you know, they're playing like legit music and mm-hmm. they used to tell me this is the hardest stuff we have to play is the stuff you're writing because I was so bad at writing for strings. <laughs> That's <you know>? awesome. <laughs> yeah. So, um, oh man. So, okay. There's so many things um, I would love to love to understand uh, yeah, from you and get it. your perspective. Mm-hmm. I just we're probably only going to get like an eighth of it or a quarter of it or something. So, um, yeah, sure. But going back, so I remember. I remember uh, having a good friend of mine. She could sing "Shout to the Lord," super mm-hmm. awesome, and we we played the heck out of that song. <laughs> I and think everyone did. <laughs> <laughs> everyone did, but at the time, it was um, it all all the all the music was guitar music. It was all guitar based mm-hmm. music. So, yeah. um, so I don't know. Tell me where you enter the story and did you single-handedly change the face of worship music so that <laughs> keyboards uh, are so uh, predominant these days in a, su- such a big role? Because uh, back uh-huh. in that day, that was one of the few songs that you could really lead off with, with keyboard or with piano. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's been a bit of a journey. I still remember way, way, way back being in a small band um, with my electric guitar friends and back then it was all about electric guitars um i still remember them saying oh in a few years there won't even be keyboard players in in bands man so i i still remember that going yeah it's kind of true at that stage (laughs) it was true yeah um but i don't know i think music kind of ebbs and flows and changes over the years and styles come and go and everything comes full circle like everyone's into 80s kind of stuff now all your analog 80s stuff right Um, Right. Um, but I still remember, yeah, way back then, it being guitar-based. Um, and I was kind of, I like to think of myself as pushing the envelope and trying new things and trying to pioneer new stuff. So I was 
one of the first keyboard players at Hillsong Church wow. to bring a computer on stage and actually use a computer live. Really? Um, so once I implemented the computer and started building up my list of software synths and stuff, I was mm-hmm. real, really able to expand on not just having piano and string kind of sounds, but really delving into some yeah, right. more experimental and more yes. yeah, wider bass sounds like Omnisphere and all that kind of stuff. So I think that's where it really took off for me um, was getting that computer on stage and spending time at home going through sounds and tweaking and everything and actually bringing a bigger range of keyboard options. Um, Yeah, and I think it kind of peaked at United's Zion album. Okay. Um, And that's where we put, I think the count was about 100 different keyboard layers all over the album. Oh, Um, my goodness. (laughs) I still remember sitting there going, doing one layer upon another layer upon another layer upon another layer and really just filling it out with synths and leads and all that kind of stuff so yeah it's been a cool journey and i know it's going to change um right but it's been really great for us keyboard worshipers um, it, it really has man because it was something to do <laughs> so, yeah, yeah i mean it was literally you had the ballad and that was about it and then you know maybe some some b3 you could throw in some b3 yeah. behind some rock rock stuff you know yeah, i remember stuff. doing all the b3 stuff yeah <laughs> Early United stuff was a lot of B3. And then strings and pads and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And I'm a padaholic, so I love doing pads. I can do pads all day. But Yeah, totally. You know, but but back at at that time, so I was running just multiple rack modules. I I I mean, what were Mm -hmm. you running on the on the computer? Because computers were barely Yeah, it it was a lot of experimenting and a lot of um like reason maybe or No, originally um I, I was like you. Before I got into my computers, I had multiple keyboards. I had modules. I was yeah. routing stuff in so I could have multiple modules uh, being used at the same time. But when I bought my keyboard and computer, I started just using a piano from my computer. So that was the first thing I did. And I used pads off my keyboard that I had. I think it was a Korg Triton or something at the yeah. time. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, so I originally started not relying 100% on my computer. I was splitting it up just in yeah. case if something went wrong. You don't want to be Safety. stuck. <laughs> so I had, yeah. So I had pads um, from my keyboard, um, and then just a piano. And then I expanded. I bought a Rhodes sample because I realized oh, nice. that the piano samples were so much better than the ones I could get from the keyboards. Right. Then I bought a Rhodes sample, which was so much better, obviously, than what I had on the keyboarded options. Um, and then I started buying a Cherry and Omnisphere and all those kind of things. And I was running it through Logic. Okay, back then, there you yeah, go, yeah. Back, back then there was no main stage, so I was trying to figure out how do I switch from sounds and Logic and how do I do multi-channel strip patches. Um, and so that was a big headache. Um, and then main stage came out, which kind of solved all my problems. Right, um, with amazingly. With all that kind of stuff. So were you like, you had different sounds on different tracks and you just like cursored up and down on the different tracks or? Um, That's basically what I did. In Logic, you can go into environment mode and you can link channel strips together. So you can actually run multiple channel strips at the same time. So that took me a while to figure out how to do that. Um, But yeah. And even the Live in Miami United um, album recording that we had, I was mainly using... Uh, computer sounds, but I always had a keyboard with a pad ready to go just in case something okay. something played up. But by then, I ironed out most of the bugs, and yeah, wow. it's pretty pretty solid 
from then on. Yeah, it took a little while. It was pretty dicey there at the beginning. Yeah. And even even when main stage came out, people were a little bit nervous about it. It's it's always a great option to have it as a like a redundancy keyboard. Yes. Even if you're not using the keyboard, you have a jack left and right out with the volume down. So at any point, if yep. you do have computer trouble, you just push up the volume and you're good, good to go. Good. So good advice. Better to be safe than sorry. Yeah. <laughs> so put us in your in your headspace a little bit. So there really isn't any precedent for anything other than piano and strings. Um, you know, about this time still, I mean, where, yeah. where's your head going into terms of, you know, what you can be getting on new recordings and who is allowing you, who is listening to the stuff you were yeah. coming up with? So it really came from, um, Joel Houston, who was over United, um, still is over United, uh, back in the time. And he would actually be proactive. So he would okay. give us all a CD and on that CD would have a whole lot of reference material. So I remember the Zion album getting the CD. It had stuff like M83. Um, if you listen to all the synth stuff, it's really similar to that. Right. Um, there was Passion Pit. There was uh, Radiohead. Um, there was a whole lot of different references that he was listening to for sounds, obviously not for lyrics and stuff. But right. Oh, that's incredible. Kind that... of ideas and yeah. yeah. So we went into the studio with that kind of in our heads and we'd already kind of right. been soaking in all that music before we started putting down our sounds and that's why it came across with that kind of vibe so yeah yeah so the guitar players already kind of knew going in hey we're gonna need yes. to work things out and we're gonna need uh-huh. to make some space for each other because <laughs> yeah yeah because <laughs> i've been in so, how it works. yeah because yeah. i mean <laughs> i've been in so many situations where you come into the studio and you're like all right uh i don't know what what do we need to do here you yeah. know and, and we just go in and we just yeah. smash it out and yeah. it's not one over the other it's usually if a guitar riff come you know if a guitarist comes up with a riff that really sure. pushes the song forward then all of us will come behind that but if a keyboard player comes up with a sound a riff which really um, compliments the song, then the guitarist will get behind that and do complimentary parts to that. So we all just play and then whatever seems to be the best idea will come behind that idea, I guess. So yeah, oh, oh, that's kind of how it works for us. That's fantastic. That's fantastic. Well, you can, you can hear that man. And we are also as keyboardists, we are also grateful to this day awesome. for the hard <laughs> work you guys did back, back in the day. Um, yeah. so, um, all right, so you're you're listening to like M83, you're listening to uh, a range of things, Radiohead, fantastic inspiration all across all of that stuff. Um and then and then you're doing your your a bunch of programming at home, you're doing kind of your yeah. your prep at home and kind of mm-hmm. trying out a, a bunch of sounds. Yeah. So okay. my prep involved kind of uh, my main instrument was Spectrosonics Omnisphere. Yep. Um, so I was going through the library and kind of it's it's cool with Omnisphere you can give each sound a rating. So yep. I'd go through and rate all the sounds from five stars to one star. Um, at that stage, I might edit them a little bit to be more to my taste. Okay. Then I'd go into the studio and I'd choose from my kind of top five star sounds and then edit them further if I needed to to fit in within the song. But that's kind of how I kind of work floated and okay. uh, did it. So prepping the sounds I liked. And then when I go in the studio, trying to choose from those. Okay. And then, and then there's always experimenting too. I'll just experiment on the spot as well. Okay. Try things out. Sure. So, so okay. So I'm going to assume that, um, 
that a lot of those experiments went really well and others crashed <laughs> and burned. Yeah, that's so, the songs that had <laughs> guitar riffs to them and not keyboard riffs. <laughs> so, um, yeah. Yeah, so I mean, give us, you know, what what are what are some of the lessons learned, things that you tried to do that were, you know, honest attempts but but they didn't but they failed and they didn't work in the end, you know. It wasn't like your part yeah. got muted in the end. I mean, no, what, well it usually works in the um like I'll never finish with a sound that I'm not happy with. Okay. Uh, like I might start with a sound that doesn't work and then I'll go to another sound and then I'll go to another sound. So I'll keep searching until I either create the sound myself or edit a sound that I think is going to work. Um, and even to the day of recording, we were still changing things. Like I like to tell the story of All I Need Is You. Most mm-hmm. people kind of know that song. It was actually a guitar intro for the longest time until the morning of the recording, I was mucking around on my Fender Rhodes going, what can I do that's different than what I've always done? And no so way. I was like, why don't I just play the left hand before the right hand instead of playing a block chord? And that's how the riff started out with the left, right, both together, left, wow. right, both together. It was just a slight little idea of just changing things up a tiny bit. Right. But Marty Sampson heard the riff and he's like, that's a riff. And so the morning of the recording, that ended up being the main part for the song. So oh, man. we're always experimenting, even up until the day of record, to see yeah. what we can come up with. So yeah. yeah. So that's the secret. Just keep asking yourself, what what yeah. haven't I done before? Exactly. And I think in the music industry, everyone's looking for something new. Right. Like, yes, we can learn from everything that's gone before and we should. Otherwise, we won't have a foundation to build on. Right. But everyone's listening out for something fresh and new. And if we don't advance and try stuff, then it's going to get mundane and people are going to go, oh, yeah, heard that on two albums ago. And exactly, even in the pop industry, it's so like that. Like yeah, if, for sure. If, you, if someone brings out something which is new, it's good just because it's new, I think. That's right, how right. people are kind of accepting it. So Right. And I mean, they're okay, but just to, just to devil's advocate that, just to, mm-hmm. um, so, uh, but there is some expectation still sometimes of that we want to hear the same thing that we've heard. Like we want the yes, whole set to work together yeah. or yeah, there's familiarity okay. or there's a formula that already worked and we yep. don't have time to create a new formula. Uh huh. That's a good, like my wife and uh, a friend of mine who are songwriters, they're always kind of debating about this and going, Oh, as a songwriter, you should be trying to find the perfect formula that's working so far for right. all these other songs, right. which to a degree, it's true, but music comes from the soul. And if you're not mm. digging deep and trying to come up with something fresh and new, then it's going to be yesterday's yeah. meal, I guess. And it's not going <laughs> to it's not going to um, satisfy yeah. our creative hunger and our heart hunger and our. So yes, that we definitely learn from the past, and we definitely um take all the knowledge that's gone before us and build on that. Um, and there's certain things that work and certain things that don't. Mm-hmm. On top of that, we need to make sure that we're um, producing sounds and stuff that are affirming the theme or the message of the song yes. and not taking away from that. So, right. um, for example, Oceans, picking a pad for Oceans, um, 
the last thing I wanted to do with that was have a really bright, stagnant, like, for example, mm. OB6 bright, stagnant, in-your-face pad. It right. needed to be a mellow pad with a lot of motion and bring in and out because mm-hmm. it kind of emulates kind of the ocean kind right. of thing. Right, so swirling to, and movement exactly. and undercurrents. It, and Yes, and so the pad actually affirms what the song's about. Yeah, um, in a big so way. So even, even in your experimenting, you still got to go, is this adding to the song? Was it taking away from what the song's trying to portray? Right. Um, so, yeah, I always keep that in mind, too, when I'm experimenting and trying new stuff. So. That's really good. So that, that was kind of one of those obvious ways to serve the song, it seems exactly. like. And not one <laughs> to go, oh, we're going to... We're going <laughs> to yeah. pull up a bright, buzzy saw here. Exactly. <laughs> and solo lead over the top of everything. Like, that's not really going to work. <laughs> right. Nice. But but uh, still, there was so much work that went into sort of executing the yeah. the the finest version of that. I mean, it, it, you know, totally. a pad that's really never been heard that way before. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. I, I mean that that song is a challenge. That song is that song is, is. not one that you just uh, you just go. Oh, I'll you know I'll wing my sound design. No, you spend <laughs> yeah. you spend hours uh-huh. trying to think through how you're going to pull that thing off. Totally, and you it's know? interesting because when that song was recorded, we didn't think it was going to be a big hit, or we didn't know how people would receive it. But it's so I've funny on the other side of it going. Well, uh, the songs we thought would be big weren't. The songs we thought, oh, they're cool, but they're not going to take off. They did. So you never quite know what's going to happen. So That's it's really so amazing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I heard that about Oceans, and it seems so hard to believe. <laughs> <laughs> On the other side. On the other side. Yeah. So we've been fixating on sounds because we're two keyboard players mm-hmm. and we like to talk about tech and sounds, right? That's that's yep. our trap we fall into. But the other half of this is the the parts you were coming up with and the part mm-hmm. it wasn't just the sound. It it was mm-hmm. it was the the part that you were playing that was trying to work into the song. So talk to us about yeah. talk to us about that process. Yeah. Um so sounds and parts kind of go hand in hand. Um sometimes a, sometimes a sound will inspire a part and other times you'll come up with a part idea in your head and then you'll try to find a sound that matches it. Um, so it could go either way. Um, the way that we do it in the studio is we try to lock in the drums first, kind of like the rhythm, especially the drum groove for the chorus. Okay. Um, then we can muck around with the verse and the bridge. And it's around those rhythms that I'll try to figure out either rhythmic parts that will work with the drum groove Um or pads or uh, leads or something. So I'm always in the back of my head going, does this either ARP sound or this lead sound, does the rhythm of that melody that I'm coming up with, does it complement the drum groove and does it complement the melody? Like I don't want this crazy lead sound in the middle of a vocal riff. So a lot of the times the lead sounds are in between breaks in the melody because you don't want to clash with the melody. Um, yeah, and a lot of it is experimenting and just going, how does this feel? Does it complement the groove? Does it take away from the groove? Does it complement the melody or is it taken away from the melody? Because um, the melody essentially is the biggest part of the song. So everything's got to work towards pushing that melody forward. Um, I still remember in my early days coming out with a cool riff for a song, 
playing it in church and then the senior keyboard player I was playing with said, hey, that riff is awesome, but it's clashing with the melody. And when you're clashing with the melody, you're clashing with every single person in the congregation singing that melody. Oh, so that was, <laughs> so that was a lesson learned. <laughs> exactly. Um, but it's so true. The whole song yeah. is de- is developed and crafted around the melody. So whatever you're doing with parts, sounds, rhythmic, melody everything has to complement that melody um but yeah and another little trick is what i would do is i'd sit in the studio and just listen to the song well let's say we're doing the chorus over and over again once i've figured out the drum groove um and just create sounds and create um melody ideas and lead ideas in my head before i'd play anything because i noticed Mm. that as soon as I start playing, I go into autopilot mode and I start right. playing what I've always, always played. So sitting back and creating in your head can actually create a better idea than just plonking away. As soon as you know the chord, you start playing. So I love that. Yeah, just sit there and listen. Listen as much as you can, create in oh, your head, man. close your eyes. Once you've got something in your head that works, then grab your instrument and start. What a concept, yeah. man. Oh, what a concept. Yeah, we should be, uh, that should be like very obvious and upfront, like one of the first things we do. And it seems like, yeah, that is not our natural instinct. It would be to reach for yeah. the keys and start doodling around and exactly relying yeah. on muscle memory to come up with something. But if we just sat there and listened and thought through, you know, where, yeah. where what does this section need? Does it need anything? Exactly. <laughs> totally, totally. And all sections are different, even, um, choruses even though they have the same yeah. melody the same the same chords everything seems the same they're not all at the same dynamic level so right, right. Um, depending on the dynamic level of each chorus i'll either create a leave a riff out or i'll bring it up an octave to boost it later on or i'll open up my low pass filter more same with verses um, my usual go-to with a verse is to come up with something for the second verse that wasn't in the first verse. So it's kind of like air candy that grabs people's attention to kind of slightly build the song um, that wasn't there in the first verse. Or I I might even come up with a part for the first verse, go, cool, I'm going to not play anything, bring that idea in on the second verse. So it's also thinking of the song as a journey rather than just sections um, with your sound design and how you play. So, yeah. So now you're talking about arranging, but before we go to arranging – because um, okay. I want to, I want to um, talk about well. Because I'm okay. So these ideas go back and forth and back and forth. But um, mm-hmm. when you're thinking about creating space for the vocals and you're crafting a sound, like, do you think yeah. about the brightness of the sound? Like, because it, it feels like Hillsong's been able to pull off some really bright sounding keyboard parts. Yeah. And do you rely on your tech team to be able to get the vocals? Um, riding on top of that, or how much of that yeah. do you feel personal responsibility for? I mean, there's some relationship there. Yeah, um, we usually go as bright as we want with our keys, and we leave it up to the mix engineer to mellow stuff out. A lot of the times, we'll actually put our keyboard sounds through API stuff, and we'll boost the top end with API EQs Wow! just to get as much top end out of the keys as we can. So we're actually boosting because it's hard. You don't want to digitally boost it later on. Um, right. And we've found that putting it through preamps and then boosting the top, obviously depending on the sound, like 
if it's already super bright, we're not going to boost it anymore. But default, most stuff we actually do add a, kind of wow. like a 10K, 8, 10K boost, couple wow. of dB, um, <laughs> 2 to 4 on most of our keyboard stuff. But I use the low-pass filter a lot. So not they're not all bright from start to finish. They might start off mellow, then we'll build them up. We even have Moog low-pass filters that we can oh. – uh, use so we might have the keyboard sound fully bright and we'll move the low pass filter you know with the dynamics of the song right um, so yeah we do have it bright at the biggest parts of the song but okay. not from start to finish if okay. that makes sense there you go all right so, yeah. and so this is where we're we're all of a sudden we're talking about arranging now Yes, correct. <laughs> yeah. And then this relationship between sound design and arranging. So talk to us mm-hmm. how you think through that. Like, um, is it, is it, a, yeah, I don't know. I don't, I don't want to, <laughs> I don't want to totally. feed you anything. I just want to hear your take, man. Yeah. So arranging, you try to think of the song as a journey or as a, I kind of visualize it like a graph of time and dynamics. Um, and so, like I said before, I don't just bring in every riff from the start of the song. I'll craft the riffs to, like I said, maybe bring in the, a different riff for the verse two. Um, if it's a piano part, I might go up the octave only in the biggest choruses and keep that riff down an octave. Um, the low pass filter is essential in having pads, which are nice and warm and mellow in the verses and then the big parts we open up those low pass filters and have them really bright uh for the biggest sections of the song um when you hear it in isolation it sounds too extreme most of the time wow. but when you mix it in with the band it really complements uh, the dynamics of the song wow. so you can't we kind of go from extremes from really mellow to really super bright um even adding things like white noise and having white noise um filter in for a big chorus um <laughs> and sometimes we might even sidechain white noise just to get oh my extra gosh. top end um you use white lo- noise a lot obviously to build into sections but then sometimes we'll have it go through the whole chorus maybe side chaining just to give that top end pumping keyboard right. sound that we're after right so yeah we we do use a lot of low pass filter and yeah dynamics with that too. All right, your sound crew seems unbelievable, man. They must to be able to manage all that. That is amazing. Um, so um, as you're as you're building your different parts, how how long will you hang on to a sound? Does it will it will you use the same sound throughout a song and just be looking at the uh, the way you you know opening a, a, a low pass filter on it and then. Yep. Or, or will you be changing that out verse to chorus, verse to chorus? How how do you play a piano for a whole song? Um, yeah, um, just, every song's different. Yeah, um, uh, most stuff like pads us- is usually there from the start to the finish, especially just to give a mix engineer the option of bringing up a pad if they need that in that space. Okay, but obviously with using the low pass filter. So it's a mellow pad in the low sections and it's a bright pad in the big sections. Pianos, yeah, we've kind of been guilty of using pianos from start to finish a lot. Um, recently, we've started just doing piano octaves in the bass maybe okay, for certain sections and then bringing the right hand and riffs um, with the right hand. That seems a really good way of building. Uh, we do that a lot, just the low octave stuff. Um, even 
when recording, sometimes we'll record the low octave stuff separate to the right hand so the mix engineer can mix in Holy cow. Um, the low end differently to the top. We've even gone <laughs> to the extreme of doing drum takes where we have no cymbals and then we do a drum take with cymbals. So the mix engineer has the option of having cymbals up or down. And Oh, my goodness. So we're, we're trying to help out our mix engineer as much as possible with options. So That's amazing. But, yeah. Um, leads and stuff, obviously, most of those will be in big sections and right. and riff sections. Um, right. Between yeah. vocals and exactly kind of yep. counterpoint to vocals and that kind of thing. And, and then the bigger sections, we're always layering more sounds to right. make it bigger, usually. Um, that's kind of how it works. So. Okay. All right. Yeah. All right. Um, awesome. Yeah. No, I just, I love talking about that stuff. I love hearing your, you know, people's take on it and, and, um, yeah. I mean, I think arranging is so critical and, and doing that work at, at the instrument level is so critical mm-hmm. to, you know, the overall, w- what's coming out of the band. Totally. Yeah. So, um, okay. Now, next question. I knew I want to ask you this. <laughs> yeah. So, um, I've, I've never been allowed to play bass, <laughs> bass parts. <laughs> Because yeah. I'm the keyboard player, right? And we have a bass. Totally. Player. How did you work? Ba- how do you work bass parts in? Or how how, uh, how how do you how do you get your band to transition to using keyboard bass parts? Yeah. Um, so nowadays, our bass player actually has a synth bass on okay. stage live. So most guys will usually have some kind of Moog, like or Moog, Moog Sub Thirty Seven, um, yeah. something sitting there for that. Um, a lot of the young and free stuff also has synth bass plucky sounds in the bottom end, which will be done in the studio and then usually done on a track um, and played to with a track. So 99% of the time we don't play bass parts as a keyboard player because our bass player has his bass, he has his Moog sub 37 or whatever sub um, exactly whatever yeah. you know analog synth, analog and then we've hotness. got stuff. Exactly. We've got stuff <laughs> on the track as well. So that's kind of how we work it, but every right. church is different. So, all right. Yeah. But, but you have come up, ha, am I correct? You've crafted some bass parts for songs? Yeah. Or? Uh, mainly the young and free guys have done that. Um, okay. I've helped with the bass sound a lot. So, okay. um, what was the album before the one that we just recorded? What was that last? Was it Open Heaven River Wild? I'm trying to remember what. I think it was, yeah. I helped craft the bass sound with our bass player. So okay. what we did was we did a Moog Sub 37 and then we laid um, a bass, a more of an aggressive bass patch from my OB6. Okay. And we had those blended together for pretty much every song on the album. So the OB6 aggressive um, bass sound would come in for the choruses and then it would go back to a nice subby Moog Sub 37 patch for the rest. Um, So that's kind of how we crafted the other ones. Okay. And with that album, the bass player came up with those parts and I just helped craft the analog synth sound of those. So that's the secret form an alliance with your bass player. (laughs) Exactly. And then you can get your stuff on (laughs) his low end. (laughs) I love it. All right. All right. That's, that's the plan there. Um, (laughs) Awesome. Well, um, Dude, I, I I mean I've been picking your brain and I I could I could mm-hmm. keep doing this for another hour. I love talking to you, but 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 um, awesome. give us I don't know, give us the kind of the lay of the land from your perspective. What are you seeing that that people are doing right out there? That things that you'd like to see people doing differently? 
um, in the U.S., yeah. uh, in wherever, wherever you've seen different things, because I think the you know the U.S. isn't the whole world here, so. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> It's a big part, but <laughs> <laughs> give us give um, us your take on 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 how things you know things from your perspective, man. Yeah, um, to be honest, when we're taking these songs into our church services, it's more about that service at any particular time. Um, so we're stringing different songs from different albums together. So I'll be more inclined to not worry as much about have I got all the exact sounds for those songs and worry more about how can I transition one song mm-hmm. to another, one song to another. And so a lot of the times I might use sounds specific to those songs, but I have to think how am I going to transition smoothly from this one into the next one right. um, and and also serving the congregation. So what's going to work for your congregation, not what's right. going to sound good or everything like that. So that's how I would approach it. Um how do we best serve our congregation? How do we best serve the set list that we've been given with our sound selection, with how we present it? Um, and for me, that sometimes means compromising um, using the exact sounds for every song. So I have that pad transition to flow from one to another. Right. Um, so that's mostly what I'm thinking about live is transitions because if you're using tracks a lot of the sounds actually covered with the tracks right right it's only dead air between the songs so that's where you really gotta make sure you're keeping it smooth and yeah transitioning it's really good hearing that from you man (laughs) i think there's a lot of people that are going to be like ah i feel that it feels really good to hear that from you man so thank you yeah um so what what would you like to see us what would you like to see us focusing on more? And I mean, you could talk to keyboard players or, or bands or producers or worship directors or. Obviously a church service is a worship service. And we, sometimes we forget that it's not just uh, play the songs and get out of there. So it's obviously going to make room for the spirit and where the spirit's leading. Um, otherwise we might as well just be doing, pub gigs or doing right. secular concerts. And so right. not forgetting, you kind of got to marry the two. You got to marry your excellence and you got to marry, um, yeah, moving with the spirit and bringing that all into a uh, cohesive kind of worship setting. Yeah. Um, so I'm always, uh, as a musician, listening out for the spirit of God, trying to f- obviously not going against what my worship leader and MD are telling me, but trying to read the service from that kind of perspective rather than just going, did I play all the sounds exactly right? And did the song sound good or was it a church right. worship concert or was it a worship service? Yeah. Um, and just kind of making sure that it, we don't fall into the track uh, trap of it being a performance right. and always making sure this is what we're here for. We're here to lead the congregation and worship. Um, how do I best serve the church with my sounds, with my excellence, with everything that I'm doing? So I think that's mm. the biggest, the biggest thing. Cause it's so easy to just play the songs yeah. and forget about, oh, actually we're <laughs> doing worship here. So yeah. perspective yeah. from Peter James. There you go. That's good, man. That is good. We need to hear that. We need to remember that. Yeah. Thank you. 
And give what what are you up to these days? Give us a little rundown. Um, yeah, so you've been doing I, some producing and yeah. So I was full time employed by United, and that okay. meant um, doing all the tours because it's a pretty busy tour schedule with United these days, um, and doing all the albums, obviously. But now I'm self employed, um, which means I'm not doing all the tours, but I'm still involved with albums. So I'm still going to the studio and producing sounds and. I'm doing a whole lot of <clears throat> tracks and stuff for, for the albums and stuff, but it means I've got more time to, uh, like I said, I'm doing a lot of producing um, for usually American or South American clients in America, so that's great. I've even done Very a little cool. bit of um, helping to train musicians in uh, different churches in America and New Zealand, wow. which is really great. I love doing that. My wife's a worship leader here at Hillsong Church, so we kind of do – she does the vocals, I do um, musicians, that kind of thing. Right. Um, and with all this other the time I've got because I'm not touring, I'm focusing more on getting these album patches out to um, those keyboard players that want it. So on multitracks.com, I've got basically every sound I've ever used on a Hillsong United, Hillsong Worship, Hillsong mm-hmm. Young and Free album. They're all available on multitracks. And I'm trying Incredible. to partner with as many guys from Hillsong and put their sounds up there as well. So I've got okay. Young and Free sounds from the Young and Free guys up there. Um, and that library's growing and putting more and more stuff out there and trying to get as much of our stuff out to the general public as um, we can. So that takes time. And yeah. Yeah. that's what I've been focusing on a lot recently as well. Okay. that's in- Yeah, that's incredible. There's an incredible amount of stuff up there. Um, yeah. In addition to all the multi-track stuff of just all the sounds, it was, yeah, I was amazed when I started seeing your sounds and other people's sounds going up there. I yeah. was, it was incredible. I mean, it logically follows, but I just, I didn't see mm-hmm. it coming and, and yeah. it's pretty cool. We're like, well, we've already done the work yeah. uh, designing the sounds and <laughs> putting them out. So we might as well make them available to the public if, if anyone wants them. So yeah, right. it was the next step, which seemed right. right. So yeah. Right. Very cool. And your website is Peter James Productions? Yeah, that's my uh, website that I I highlight um, a lot of stuff on multitracks. So okay. Peter James Productions, you can go there and get my email address if you need to email me in relation to producing a song or an album or anything like that. Um, and then there's links on that website to the multitracks website where all my patches and okay samples and everything are um sold as well so yeah okay that's correct. okay and there's a ton of other i don't know resources and and other things totally. that you've put out uh i remember seeing your 100 percent uh reverb wet trick yeah. um <laughs> at the at the end of a phrase which i i think is brilliant so so i'm not going to tell you where to go find that you just got to go search <laughs> peter james stuff out and yeah. there's um, also my um there's also my youtube channel if you just search peter james productions there you go inside youtube there's a whole lot of free tutorial videos on basically sound design and main stage and Omnisphere and, and anything you could uh, want to find. Obviously, YouTube's free, so you can browse through all that as well if you wanted to. There you go. There you go. Okay, and there will be links to that from uh, buildingyourband.com slash Peter James in the show notes cool. here. Peter James, thanks for talking to us, man. No it's been such a pleasure. Cool. Thanks for the opportunity. I love doing these things. Oh, yeah. awesome. So cool. Hey, is there a tune that we can listen to on the way out? I guess the one most prominent at the moment is 
what a beautiful name after the Grammys. <laughs> but so, if we did beautiful name, is there something you could talk us through on that? Yeah, I did arrange all the strings for that song, um, and I did a bunch of keyboard layers on that song as well, um, along with some of the other guys from our church. So, okay, that's right. Yeah, that's how we started this. So, <laughs> yes, exactly. Full circle. Could there finish it is. the same way. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much, man. I really no appreciate worries. it. For sure. All right, okay. take care. See you, mate. What a beautiful name it is. What a beautiful name it is.
Oh, oh, I had a question. I've got it. I'm not going to lose it. I won't forget it. Um, Um, oh yeah. Okay. So, um, as you're, I, I should be writing notes down here. <laughs> yeah. 